For a number of years, Pamela Boyd played a behind-the-scenes role in the 27th Ward, which takes in five neighborhoods in northwest St. Louis. But after this past election cycle, Boyd is transitioning into a role of a policymaker. The 27th Ward Alderwoman joins us on another edition of Politically Speaking, so let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Greitens. Navy <laughs> SEALs running for governor, and I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe. I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. And welcome to Politically Speaking, the only podcast about Missouri politics featuring a host that purposely wears a pink polo shirt to disorient his guests. I am that host. <laughs> well, actually, I think we're the only podcast around that features real local officials, not just the big shots. We go for the people who really make things work. And I think that they come because they like to be disoriented by my shirt. I'm Jason Rosenbaum, by the way. Yeah. I, I'm a reporter for St. Louis Public Radio and the, and uh, my host right here. Yeah, right? the co-host is colleague Joe Manis and our special guest today. Pamela Boyd, Alderwoman for the 27th Ward. Thank you so much for coming on our show. This is continuing um, our unofficial series talking to the newly elected Aldermen. We've we've talked to Dan Gunther, John Collins Muhammad, Brandon Bosley, and we will be talking with Heather Navarro in September. I, I put that on the calendar. Uh, Sarah Martin and Tom Oldenburg, you're next. So if you're <laughs> listening to this, you, you should be prepared for attacks. Yeah, just so our listeners, oh, you probably know this. Uh, a, our Alderman shows are often some of our heaviest listenership. Because a lot of people want to hear about what their alderman has to say. B, this is one of the largest um, new classes for the board of aldermen mm -hmm. in decades. Mm -hmm. So, which which also means that the board, the whole dynamics of the board, has changed a little bit. Now, before we ask you about your background and any questions, just tell our listeners what the twenty seventh ward encompasses, which neighborhoods, where it is in St. Louis. The 27th Ward encompasses of North Point Community, Walnut Park East, Walnut Park West, and part of the Baton and part of Mark Twain neighborhoods. So it's basically like Northwest St. Louis City, pretty close to the border of North North St. Louis County. Is that yes. correct? Yes. Yes. And um, it's as as we were talking about before the show, you are probably the first alder person not named Carter in what, 20, 30 years at this point? Yes, because I know I worked with Alderman Gregory J. Carter for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And his mom had uh, been in the uh, political field for about that long or maybe longer. Mm -hmm. So it's about 30 years that Carter name was always there. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute and we'll touch on that. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself, your professional background, and, and kind of your behind the scenes role in politics, because you're not a newcomer. You've been working hard for your ward probably for 10, 20 years, and now you're finally getting the glory yourself, right. so to speak. <laughs> and you know what, Jason and uh, Jan, I don't think it's about glory for me. I think it's about uh, the determination of the residents that live within the ward, because the residents, after Alderman Gregory Carter passed, they were real clear that they needed a change. Because after Alderman Carter passed, 
then the war went in a total different direction. And the residents weren't happy with that direction. So I started, I met Greg right when he was getting ready to run as our older person. So that was like 1993, I yes. think. Yes, yes. And what were you doing at the time? I was just a little community lady building box units. Okay, so have you always lived in the 27th Ward? I lived in there ever since 1982. Okay. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. And when I moved in, I was a single mom, and I was looking for somewhere for my kids and myself to stay. And ironically, we found a 27th Ward, and I said, oh, I want to live on this street. This is a nice, quiet street. Because I, I, I want to put this into a little bit of context. I've, I've been the 27th Ward many times. It, mm-hmm. it actually was for a long time the place where many working and middle-class African-Americans lived. You can right. see that by the single-family homes that are there that actually look very similar to the single-family homes in St. Louis Hills. Exactly. So I, I, I think that there is this unfounded perception that everything in North City is just destitute and bombed out. Right. And this is one of the areas that was was, was a pretty strong area for yes. a long time. Yes. Now, where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in St. Louis. I was I was born in St. Louis, and I was raised in St. Louis, in North St. Louis. Okay. I, uh, my family stayed on, on Taylor Avenue, and uh, then I went to uh, Simmons School, Turner School, Sumner High School. Yeah, see, that's a magic question. <laughs> I <laughs> magic knew you were going to ask. Yeah, I went to Sumner High School. <laughs> okay. And then... Uh, I like serving people. I really enjoyed it. And so uh, I wind up becoming a dietary manager. Mm-hmm. And as I had told Jason earlier, my first job in food service was at the Jewish hospital. Which is which was close to Barnes. Right. On yeah, it was right actually my mother-in-law Highway. worked there for like close to 40 years. Yes. At Barnes in the... Uh, she delivered babies. And I told Jason, I said, and I just thought that was the most super hospital in the world because everybody cared. And so that's what made it so special to me. And then I went back to school. I went to college. And uh, my son and myself, gradu- I graduated from college. He graduated from high school the same week. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So we, we were really proud of that accomplishment. And then I went back to college and I uh, became a certified dietary manager. So where do you work now? I work at uh, the Valley of Stonebridge Community at 6768 North Highway 67. And that is? A long-term care facility. And I just want to let our listeners know, and I hope I'm not giving away too many secrets, but you actually get up at like 2 or 2.30 in the morning, Mm -hmm. work a 12-hour day, Mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons we're recording this at 4.15. You are a... You are a working alderman. Yes. You have an actual job. This yes. is this, aside from being an alderman. Yes. So, yes. So, um, what prompted you to get involved in the political process? You mentioned that you you were close with Greg Carter when you ran for for alderman. You were the committee woman for about eight years. What what interested you in in getting involved? That's from interesting, a political perspective? Jason. You yeah. asked me that question. Yeah. <laughs> because Greg. Uh, him and I had worked together, like I said, for like 20 years. And his mom would always tease me. She said, whenever you come, I know it's going to be problems because you and Greg are stirring something up. And I was <laughs> like, no, Paula, no. He, she said, yeah, Pam, because I know you and Greg. And we were always a tag team. Mm. And it, just to see his vitality and his vision. And w- when I would get up in the morning, 
he would be just going to bed and he would say, okay, babe, I got all this taken care of. And so now you can take care of that. So I will ride the water and I will do the other part. So we were a tag team. So in 2007, he said, I'm going to be straight in 08 because you're going to be the committee woman. And I said, no, I'm not doing that for this. I'm just doing it to help people. I'm not trying to do it. No, you're already doing it. It's just the political part you don't know. Yeah. So it took him a year, and he convinced me to run as his committee woman. Yeah, and just so our listener, most of our listeners probably know this, uh, Paula Carter was kind of a force of nature, mm-hmm. and I knew her when she was in the state legislature. She was in the House, and then she won a special election for the Senate, uh, was uh, one of the first uh, major African-American women figures in the St. Louis area who held— top office uh, unfortunately um, she died too soon of cancer mm-hmm. and uh, but she was a character and also she was very honest I mean you could yeah. ask her a question about <laughs> well are you doing this or did so-and-so pressure you to do that or or did you pressure so-and-so and she would say yes <laughs> or no right. and yes. I mean she didn't like equivocate and uh, unfortunately Alderman Greg Carter who had some of the same qualities. Unfortunately, he died in an awful um, car accident. About five years ago. About I think the anniversary ago. was, was, was August, August 1st. August 1st, right. Which was, a, which was a really sad day in right. St. Louis politics. Yes. So after he died, Chris Carter III became the alderman. That he, was his uh, nephew. Nephew. Right. He vacated his house seat to serve out the rest of Greg's term. You actually ran against him in 2013. Right. It was... I mean, not, I'm not saying anything you don't know. It was not a close race. Mm-mm. You you lost pretty decisively. Mm-hmm. But you were still the committee woman. Right. You were not out of the, the scene, so to speak. And right. then in, in 2017, Chris Carter III decided not to run for re-election. You mm-hmm. ran against two other candidates. One of them was Keena Carter, mm-hmm. who was um, Greg's sister. sister. Right. And then there was a third candidate as well. And you, you emerged victorious. Yes. What, what was it like to run that campaign? Because, I mean, we've, we've t- had people on the show who have run for offices before and lost and then came back the second time and, and won. Mm-hmm. It seems like maybe you learned some some things from 2013 that, that were helpful for 2017. Is that fair to say? It is, and what I did learn was was determination and persistence is what made it happen. And, again, like I said, I give honor to those residents because I knocked on every door. My goal was when Greg died, I was totally dysfunctional. My mind was nowhere near running for office. It, it, I, I just And people were like, you need to run, you need to run. And so I did it. But I wasn't ready because I had, I just wasn't there. But the day that I lost, a friend called me and said, you start today campaigning for the next office. And I, my goal was to hit every door in that ward, and I did. And you won. Yeah. And um, so you're part of this new class, as Joe alluded to, Um and I want to, before we talk about the issues of the ward, what is it sort of like to be in this large freshman class? I mean, it's, it's people with, who come from different parts of the city. They have different life experiences. They, some of them have more political experience than others. What's it been like so far? Exciting, scary, uh, challenging. But 
the good thing that I feel about it, we're all trying to come together and we're taking different talents that each one of us has. And we're even looking at different at each other's wars to see how we can help each other. So that's what I like about it. It's a team. All of us are teams. I share office with a new older person, Tom, and Tom is superb. You know, he's a thinker. And then Sarah Ward is superb. You know, she's she thinks logically. Sarah Martin, you mean? I mean Sarah Sarah. Ward Martin. Yes, Sarah Sarah Wood Martin. Yes, continue. And so she thinks outside the box, and so she'll think, okay, so what I'm doing is it impacting what you're doing? Is it something you're doing over there that's impacting what I'm doing? So I love it because nobody is territorial. Everybody's real clear. We have to come together as a team, and we have to try to build a city as a whole. Now, what do you see? I had covered... That your your primary race, I'd interviewed you and your opponents back then, and I remember at the time when I was asking what the top issues were, you were concerned about um, some of the parts of the ward that aren't doing as well, right? And then also public safety and some other issues. Has that changed much since you've took office, or are there steps that you're taking to try to get uh, some of those issues addressed? Well, uh, what I did first when I first got elected was I came up with a plan. And what I kept telling people that they never understood, and a lot of people didn't know it, uh, our ward was a part of sustainable neighborhood plan. And so we have a plan in place. So now our residents are working with that plan, and we have five committees that we have started that they're actually working to build the community. One neighborhood I was real clear that hadn't has been neglected for years. When I tell you years is years, it's Walnut Park East. And I just thought it was unfair because I was elected for a whole ward, not just part of a ward. So some of the neighborhoods are a little stronger than others, but what was so weird was the people that have been neglected the most they came out the most and signed up for those committees so we have a safety committee we have a housing committee we have a good fellow street committee so we have these committees that residents are actually at the table working the plan to try to build the water to give our listeners a sense of the challenge ahead, I was looking at the website of the LRA, which is the city's agency that, that buys up vacant properties and abandoned properties. In the 27th Ward alone, mm-hmm. there are over a 1,000 LRA properties. Right. Most of them are vacant lots, right. but almost 300 of them are former residential homes. Right. And I think that you know, Brandon Bosley is in a similar situation. John Collins Muhammad is in a similar situation. It might actually be worse there. It could be well over a thousand, if not into the two thousands. How do you deal with that problem? How do you get people excited to maybe take a piece of vacant land and maybe build a house on it or take a house that's been neglected or abandoned for a long time and get somebody to fix it up? It's it seems like a very daunting challenge from the outside, but I want to hear what your what your thoughts are on that. It's not really to me. It's a challenge, and I love challenges because that makes me stronger in what I do. But with our housing committee, we have like 10 people that are sitting on that committee that's, that's lived throughout the ward. And so now they are cataloging the buildings, and we're trying to look at the worst of the worst buildings. And then we're trying to look at, 
what the demolition is going to cost us. So it's challenging, but it's not to the point where it's hopeless because we feel that, and I'm not going to say we, I say they feel that if we just take, bite this elephant one piece at a time, we can rebuild it. Now, um, are there certain um, areas that are your, that you are focusing on first or um, just kind of as you're looking at your whole ward, are there certain targeted areas? Well, what I did was I uh, dissected the ward into four sections. And so I got with the police department and I worked with them to see how uh, where the crime, the highest crimes were. And so we're focusing on those areas. And then the ones that are pretty much stable, we're trying to look at other avenues on how we can rebuild the short ends that they feel that they have. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the community that's leading the charge. They're telling, you know, this is what we need to do. This is what we need to look at. And I think the thing that kept me going was we had a meeting the other day, and the lady said, you gave us hope because we didn't have it. We thought nobody cared. And so I think that's what's motivating people because they feel that somebody's there fighting for them and that's what's going to build it back up. Well, I want to talk about crime because I think everybody I've talked to who is running for alderman, even in places like the 16th Ward, which have relatively low amounts of violent crime, although mm-hmm. they, there are property crimes and, and car, car break-ins, what is kind of your feeling on what needs to be done? I mean, I think that the aldermen have a role to play, but Mm -hmm. a lot of the responsibility falls on the mayor and the police chief and the public safety director. Right now, there's a search going on for a new police chief. I guess my my question for you is, what do you feel needs to be done both on an executive level in the mayor's office and on an aldermanic level to deal with crime? Because I'm I'm sure it's an issue that your constituents talk about almost every day. Right. Well, the first thing I did, and and I did it because I'm a visual person, what I asked the mayor to do was to ride my ward. I said, just ride around around and see what I see so you'll know what I'm dealing with. And I think after, uh, I think I had just got in office, I was elected in April, I think May or June, I had seven deaths within a month, and two of them were children. And so I was like, you know, I just need you to ride the war to see the issues that I'm dealing with. I said, and I feel like I'm under siege because I can't get a hold on this, and I'm just walking in the door. So she did. And so that was an accomplishment that has never happened. We never had a mayor ride through our wall. So Slay didn't do that? No. And Bosley didn't do that? Harmon didn't do that? Wow. Is there any reason why? I don't know. I don't know, but I was excited because she did. So I had my housing director, myself, and she had her her cabinet with her, and they actually saw what we had been dealing with. Hmm. So Mary Crewson was real clear that you need help over here. So that made me feel better because we had a mayor that actually listened where normally it hadn't. Now, um, do you feel like you need more police on the ground in the in your ward or other things? I'm just interested in kind of what you see as the most important ways to improve public safety. 
what I explained to her and what I tell the residents, we are, the 27 ward is encompassed by six districts. That is the uh, that six district has the largest area of any district in the police department. Now this is the six police district, right? Yeah. And it has less police than any district, and it has higher crime. So realistically, we do need more police in that district. But I think we need to empower and educate our residents to help them to report the crimes and give the details to help the police. But it's real clear certain areas don't even see police. And so them telling me we're going from call to call, that's not acceptable to me because at the end of the day, my residents feel, they feel real strong. If they see, if people see the police riding through the community, it's going to deter the crime. And so that's what we need to address. I, I, what do you think has prompted this this kind of scourge of, of violence and gun violence, not only in your ward, but in other places? I've heard theories like maybe it's the drug trade. Maybe it's it's gang or, or just neighborhood warfare. Maybe it's just too much access to guns. Demographics. But but I'm, I'm curious, like, since you've lived in the 27th Ward for, for so long, what has prompted this i'm really curious to hear this you know i guess i'm challenged because the people that have died or come in our ward didn't live in our ward so they lived like either in other parts of the city or we have people from chesterfield from jenny's from webster groves that's sending a uh, that's putting a big question mark to me so what i'm telling my residents what message or what marketing are we giving to make people in those communities feel they can come to our community? So, I mean, are they coming there for the drugs or what? Yes. So they're coming for drug sales and they get killed. Yes. And now, you know, I've been around long enough. In fact, I used to cover police, night police, back in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. So I know that this goes up and down. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the, right. in, the, in the late, especially the early 80s, crime was... Not not pretty hot in the city at that time. So, and of course, you've been around along as well. Do you see some of this as something that may be partly demographic because of, you know, more young people or uh, the drugs or which is somewhat similar to what was going on in the 80s when drug use was pretty high? Or, or is it other factors? Do you think? You know, in the eighties and early nineties, we were you we were losing African American men at a rate of two to three a week. And I would always say, African American men are becoming extinct like dinosaurs because they that's how quick they were dying. Until we came to the table as a community and created a holistic approach like the concept of St. Louis current communities, we that's the only way we slowed it down because, yeah, it might be drugs in that community, but people don't realize the lives that the people are living to survive, and that's what impacted what was going on. Before we get to our next topic, we're going to take a quick break, and I will let our listeners know about the stories Joe and I are working on. 
On St. Louis Public Radio's website this week, make sure to read my story about how a lawsuit against a Republican state senator could break new ground over the Sunshine Law. And be sure to read Joe Manis' story on how the St. Louis Rams may owe Missouri a lot of money. Those stories and more from St. Louis Public Radio's political team are on stlpublicradio.org. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Politically Speaking on iTunes by typing in Politically Speaking in the iTunes podcast search. And we're back on the Politically Speaking podcast with uh, Alderwoman Pamela Boyd. Um, 27th Ward. The 27th Ward Alderwoman. I want to talk about some issues that are going to have either gone through the Board of Aldermen or are going to be relevant in the next few few weeks and months. One of the things that I think that you've ended up taking a vote on is the sales tax increase for law enforcement. What was kind of your mentality going in there? Because I think that that had a mixed reception. Like some people thought it was needed. So so officers could would stay in St. Louis and, and not, not go, go to, to the, the county. county where they did pass a a l- pretty uh, large prop sales P. tax prop P. Right. But I I also I also have heard, you know, sales tax is already really high and maybe there are other places in the budget rather than do this. What was kind of your thoughts going through that debate? <sighs> my thought was <laughs> my first thought was if you're looking at the half cent sales tax and you're pushing for safety as a packet. So my question was, so why aren't you having everybody that's under that umbrella involved in receiving the benefits from that sales tax? Mm -hmm. So they had the police in there, and then they had uh, the after school with the uh, city recs, and then they had, the fire department and the, the circuit fire department. attorney's office. But the circuit attorney wasn't in there in the beginning. No, I don't I think right. that was the case. And so they added them after the fact. Mm-hmm. So my question was, well, why couldn't we have the sheriff, the circuit attorney, have the fire department, have, uh, I said, and the police, what, what kept putting a red flag? The police said, we don't want it. They said, we don't want this. They said, because we need to be promised that we'll get the dollars. And that's what kept hitting the red flag to me. I kept saying, well, why are we doing them if they don't want them? I think that what you're alluding to is the fact that even if the sales tax ends up passing, you would still need to go through collective bargaining, and there's no guarantee that the amount of money will will be there. That's basically what I think you're saying. And so a lot of older people were feeling that the police were holding us hostage and saying, we want to make sure we get the raise because we don't want people to go into the county. And so our thing was, well, why, what incentives are we offering our police? My thing is, take care of the police. Show depreciation for them. You know, what incentives are you giving them? Are you giving incentives for uh, residency or buy houses? I mean, what are we doing? Because a lot of times it's not about money. A lot of times it's about the retirement. It's about the benefits package. So that's how we were looking at it. How, how did you vote on that, Bill? I voted yes. Yeah, but, I mean, <laughs> if you had to tell your resident, I mean, you voted to put it on the ballot. That doesn't right. necessarily mean that you were in love with the proposal. Right, right. What would you tell a constituent that comes up to you and asks, how should I vote on this, given your misgivings just there? And that's what I would tell them. I, and what I usually tell my residents, I don't tell people how to vote. I give them the information Mm -hmm. and say, you have to make your decision what you feel is best for you. Mm -hmm. I I don't think it's fair for me to tell you you need to vote this way. 
I just give you the facts. And as a committee woman, that was my job to give the residents the facts and let them make the decision. I, I do want to touch on the circuit attorney budget for a second. Because okay. one of the things that I heard from aldermen from North and South St. Louis is they were dismayed that she was not getting as much money as she asked. Right. I think she asked for a certain amount of money and she ended up getting a million dollars less than that. And that's not just me th- throwing that money out of uh, thin air. I looked at the budget and I think that's right. what happened. Why do you think that was the case? I didn't get a sense that when Jennifer Joyce was circuit attorney that they ever cut her budget or I rejected didn't either. it. I, I mean, didn't there's either. been some rumblings about why, but I'm curious what you heard because I think that there's been a lot of consternation about that. What I kept hearing was what was asked is not what she was asking for. That's what I kept hearing. She said, I didn't ask for that. Mm-hmm. And and understanding what, what Kim Gordon is trying to do, she's trying to make the prosecutor's office not so much as an attack for residents to lock people up, but to try to empower people to keep them from keep locking people up. So I think that's what she was fighting for. She was fighting for dollars to build programs to help people to get them from going to jail, but to help rehabilitate them. I mean, have you, have you dealt much with the circuit attorney's office? Mm-hmm. I have dealt with her, and I think me personally, I can only speak for myself, I think that we as elected officials are sending her out there with a rubber knife. We're not giving her the tools she needs to be able Anytime a person is get elected and then they're they were automatically cut five positions, that's not telling me that's not a good thing to me. So all I'm saying is, let's look at what she's asking for and let's try to give her. We might not be able to give her all of the things that she's asking for, but let's try to accommodate to for us to try to detail some of the crime that's going on and the. The court dockets. Let's look at that way. Now, uh, from your perspective, I mean, aside from what's going on in your ward, um, do you see citywide as the biggest challenge for you as a member of the board dealing with a crime issue, or are there other things that you think also need to be dealt with? I think uh, people don't understand crime. It has a, that's the end result. What I feel is. Until they start rebuilding the social service issues, addressing those issues, the crime is not going to deteriorate. But that's not something that the city can do, isn't it? Isn't that pretty much state? Yes, that's the state. Yeah. And, and so as, lo- as and long the as you keep making cutting budget it, cuts. Right. As long as you keep cutting the social service piece, that's going to hurt us as a city because the services aren't there to help the people to rehabilitate their lives and get their self back together. Well, as an older person, how can you deal with that? I mean, you don't have a vote in Jeff City. No. So, I mean, how do you try to change that focus, or what are you doing to try to persuade them to uh, not make so many cuts in these areas? Uh, jump up and down and holler and scream. <laughs> at the state representatives that I have up there and ask them to, and the senators and ask them to try to push to put dollars back in there. 
But in the meantime, like right now, like when they had the national night out last night and I went to neighborhoods, the main things the guys were asking, all the women, is it jobs? And I'm like, yes, it's jobs. I said, we have agencies that help people that have felonies, and then we have Slate that help people. That and Slate and Michael Holmes is sending me thousands of jobs that they need people to work. So that's what I'm trying to do. So the other the, the other thing um, that I think might be coming down the pike, which was 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 kind of almost was an obsession of the last board of aldermen. You had the Ram Stadium situation in 2015. Mm-hmm. Then you had the soccer stadium right before you were sworn in. Both of those things didn't happen. One of the things I think is going to probably materialize that is very real is the convention center upgrades. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're not on any of the committees that deal with the convention center, but I talked with Kitty Ratcliffe, I think about three or four months ago, and they're going to be asking for a a package from the board of aldermen that could be hundreds of millions of dollars to revamp. Is that something that you've heard about yet? Or, or well, so- ironically, I did a tour of it. Yeah. And uh, she is a sweet lady. She's very committed to the convention center. She's really, and she, the numbers she was showing me kind of blew me away because she compares us with like Las Vegas and New York and, we're kind of the low man on the totem pole because she's trying to attract people here, and she has a lot of challenges with the building itself because of the age of the building, transporting the food and the parking situation, even as little as the tractor trailers being able to get in a place. So she has some challenges, but she is a fighter, and she has great ideas and input on what she feels that could rebuild to make us marketable for other conventions to come to us. That'll be something I think that we'll be talking a lot more about in the next few months. Yeah. I guess just to close this out, um, you know, how do you think the Board of Aldermen and, and you are working with the new mayor, Lida Cruz? And you mentioned that she wrote in your ward, which I think was a, was a sign of, of goodwill. Yes. But what do you think, how do you think she's done so far? I mean, a lot of people on the board supported other candidates. Um, they may not like some of the policies she's done. Others do. Right. I'm not sure where you fall on that continuum, but I'd be interested in, in your take because uh, it seems to be a prime point of discussion in St. Louis politics right now. And I think she's kind of, she kind of reminds me a lot of how long we've been in office. (laughs) So she keeps reminding me of the days that we've been in office. And I think she has a challenge on her hands because she's trying to walk in to clean up and get the city on track. And I think that's a challenge within itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, how do you think things shape up as far as... um Board of Alderman President Lewis Reed and Darlene Green, the comptroller. Um, how do you think the board, or at least you, how do you deal with them? How do you see them right now? I think they are astronomically great people. I, I have a lot of respect for both of them because they're carrying some heavy weight on their shoulders. And uh, people need to understand in a political office, it's not easy. Because you're going to please some of the people some of the time and not all the people all the time. And so I think Darlene shows that her heart is there and her main concern, like mine, is the residents. 
And so that's what she always thinks before she makes decisions. Yeah. And I think we do have maybe a year or two reprieve before the Board of Aldermen president race uh, maybe politicizes things. Right now, I think you're into policymaking mode. Right. Then like 600 people might be running against Lewis Reed. But that's a that's for another show. I just wanted to thank you so much for coming in here today. This was this was a real treat. I'm, I'm always very glad to get aldermen on the show because, as Joe alluded to at the beginning of the show, these people are closest to the people, which yes. is why these are some of our most listened to shows. They, yes. they deal with constituents on almost a hand-to-hand level. Right. So we, 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 we appreciate your time. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And how would people follow you on Twitter or get a hold of you, either on the internet or, or otherwise? Uh, I have a, a Twitter account. is. uh Boy stuff. Right. I, I looked at it before. <laughs> B-O-Y-D? S-T-U-F-F. Uh, yeah, it's actually B-O-Y-D. Mm-hmm. Okay. S-T-U-F-F. Okay. Right. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long. Okay.